Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Ten years ago, Tucson was shaken by a mass shooting. This week, we look back at what's happened since the shooting and look forward. January 8, 2011. Shots rang out at a Safeway just north of the Tucson city limits during a Congress on Your Corner event for Representative Gabrielle Giffords. Six people were killed and 13 others were wounded, including the congresswoman. The lives of those who were there and their families were permanently changed in an instant. Days after the shooting, President Barack Obama came to Tucson for a memorial service held at the McHale Center on the University of Arizona campus. He offered words of comfort and thanks to the people who tackled the gunman. Their actions, their selflessness, poses a challenge to each of us. It raises a question of what, beyond prayers and expressions of concern, is required of us going forward. How can we honor the fallen? How can we be true to their memory? Pam Simon is a retired school teacher who was working as a staffer for Congresswoman Giffords that day. She was one of the 13 people wounded during the shooting. We asked her what's changed for Tucson in the last decade. I think Tucson perhaps hasn't changed so much as the uh, tragedy let Tucson see what we're really made of, how we came together how we reached out and helped each other, not just the people who were directly affected, but also just the whole community. There was a sense of family. And I wondered if it would last. And of course, over 10 years, new people come to town, new things happen. Um, This tremendous tragedy of COVID has happened. But my feeling is that it gave us the experience of what it's like to get through a tragedy. And um, I I think Tucson um, is an amazing place. And hopefully we recognize that in ourselves now. Since uh, the the incident at the Safeway, there have been more mass shootings in the U.S. Has anything changed with gun control measures, for better or for worse, in the last decade? Actually, a lot has changed, and it is true that the federal background check bill did not pass, as we had hoped it would right after Sandy Hook. And it is true that things have been very difficult in in Congress, but a tremendous amount has happened in the last 10 years. Uh, I've had the privilege of being part of a gun violence prevention movement almost from the start, certainly for survivors. The January 8th survivors were the first people that Mayor Bloomberg's organization, Mayors Against Illegal Guns, reached out to to use our moral authority, our story, to see if we can drive some action. And the Survivor Network has grown in the last 10 years to, sadly, it has grown, but there are hundreds and hundreds now, like myself, that are using our story 
to lift up the real cost of gun violence. And all the polling indicates that a vast majority, up to 90%, believe that we should have background checks. So as we give more power by our advocacy to to elected officials to step out on this issue, um, it, uh, it, it gives them the, the uh, power to vote the way that they know they should vote. What are some of the things that all of these groups together or individually have gotten through as changes? What has happened is many states have passed their own background check bills and laws. And what we see in those states is a significant decrease in suicide, in homicide, and especially in domestic violence murders. We estimate about 40% of the guns purchased in this country do not go through a background check. But what we've seen is those states that have been able to pass it do see a reduction in, in gun violence. So we, we continue to push on that. But one of the things that I think doesn't get attention is so many states have introduced really awful bills, bills that would allow more firearms in places that they really shouldn't be, such as bars and on school grounds. And so... Um, the Moms Demand Action, along with other groups, there are lots and lots of local groups, have stepped up, they fill the galleries, they put pressure on, they shine lights on. And so, consequently, some of the bills never never see the light of day, in addition to passing good ones. Um, the other thing that Moms Demand Action has done that I am very um, enthused about is, and this is a nationwide program, is called Be Smart. And it is a program for safe gun storage. So it's encouraging parents, uh, grandparents, uh, anyone that is around children to store their firearms safely. We in no way are an anti-gun group. We just believe that guns should be in safe hands. And when you store them, they must be stored so that children cannot get a hold of them. A, A tragic number of young people every year are killed either because they are a teenager or adolescent that uh, commit suicide because they have access to their parents' or grandparents' guns or neighbors, and or accidental shootings, or as we, we call it, unintentional shootings, uh, where a four-year-old gets a hold of the gun and shoots either a parent or another child. So the Be Smart program is nationwide and making a difference. When President Obama spoke in Tucson a couple of days after the shooting, he also quoted scripture saying terrible things happen for a reason. Obviously, this was terrible. People lost their lives. You were shot. Many other people were shot. And as strange as maybe this sounds, did anything good come from this in the long term? I do think, speaking specifically about Tucson— Many, many good things came out of it. We all wish we could roll back the calendar to the day before January 8th. But what I did see in that first year is scholarships started in Gabe's name. Foundations started, um, Roxana and John Green, in honor of their daughter, started the Christina Taylor Green Foundation that raised millions of dollars 
for local children's charities. Um, nationwide, the Institute for Civil Discourse started. All of these things uh, add to the discussion, add to who we are as a people, and add to how we respond in a tragedy, because we've certainly seen other places that respond in a very different and divisive way. So good things did come out of it. We wish it had never happened. But um, as resilient people, we are we find we find solace and we we find healing in in doing something, some action. And speaking for myself, uh, that has been tremendous healing for me to be involved with the Memorial Foundation, with the Christina Taylor Green Foundation, and with uh, Moms Demand Action and the Survivor Network. That has helped me move forward, and I have watched it help others move forward and make some sense out of a terrible tragedy. All right, Pam, thanks for spending some time with us. You are welcome. That was Pam Simon a survivor of the January 8, 2011 mass shooting in Tucson and member of the Tucson chapter of Moms Demand Action. When mass shootings occur, it often prompts us to question why someone would deliberately target so many people, often strangers. Many times we incorrectly assume the shooter has a mental illness. Georgetown professor and psychiatrist Lisa Gold says the data doesn't bear out that connection. Generally, these are not folks um, typically with serious mental illness, or they have they may have mental illness, but there's really no evidence that it's causally related to the act of, of violent behavior. Gold says there's no evidence that there's an increased risk of gun violence to others associated with mental illness. When guns are involved, she says, the risk is usually suicide, not homicide. As tragic and horrible as these events are, mass shootings are really not the biggest, uh, or statistically speaking, the most significant incidents of gun violence in the United States. In fact, statistically speaking, they are the smallest percentage of gun violence in the United States, even with the increase over the last few years of mass shooting events. Gold says if we want to reduce gun violence, we need to look at how it most often occurs, namely suicide and domestic violence. Those aren't easily solved, she says, but we can use targeted tools to reduce harm. You know, when you pass laws, for example, that say people who are under a domestic violence restraining order are not legally allowed to own or possess firearms, what you find is that the incidence of intimate violence Uh, intimate partner violence with firearms goes down. Gold says many states have laws allowing for emergency restraining protective orders, which can temporarily remove someone's gun when they're deemed a threat. If you have a family member um, who you feel is at risk, you can contact uh, the police and get a judge's order um, or magistrate's order for the police to come and remove firearms from that person. And the the statistics that we have on that, again, not surprisingly, are that the, that it appears to prevent suicide more often than anything else. In 2019, Governor Doug Ducey proposed what is known as a red flag law, but the legislature didn't pass it. 
Arizona law does allow weapons to be removed from people who are undergoing court-ordered mental health treatment and those under a domestic violence restraining order. Gold says mass shootings remain hard to prevent, but there are ways to limit the harm there, too. You know, the issue can be, can be why would you have an ammunition clip that has more than a certain number of bullets in it? You know, gun violence is a very complicated problem, so there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution. So all of these different things will chip away at the problem. You can find links to some of the research by Georgetown professor and psychiatrist Lisa Gold in this week's show notes on our website. This week, we mark the 10th anniversary of Tucson's January 8th mass shooting by looking forward. Mark Kelly and Gabby Giffords were married in 2007. At the time of the shooting, he was an astronaut preparing for a mission. Politics was Gabby's job. But now he's a U.S. senator. We spoke with Kelly earlier this week about the anniversary of the January 8th shooting. You know, this was a significant event in the you know history of Tucson, so it, it had an impact on not just the folks that were there that day, but I think it impacted our whole community. Six individuals die, um, many more injured, including Gabby. And um, but the community rallied around uh, this event, and I think in a in a positive way. So, despite the loss, that was significant. Uh, I think there there was some. Um, positive things that came out of a, a really horrible experience uh, for the community. And that was this sense of community and, um, you know, the sense of, of the and the ability to overcome a tragedy. So I think that's positive. After the shooting, you and Gabby created the organization that became known as Giffords eventually. Um, how has that organization grown and how effective do you think it's been? It's uh, been very effective uh, in addressing the issue of gun violence at a more local level, state level. Um, we've got a very high rate of gun violence compared to other developed countries. And, uh, you know, laws matter. Uh, and, um, you know, so it's always, you know, important to try to move us in a direction to try to address problems. And one of the problems is we have too many people shot and killed. Um, I mean, that, 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 it, that is clear, and there's common sense things we can do that most Arizonans support um, in both political parties. Uh, but the, the organization uh, has, has done well addressing this issue at the state level. Federally, as we know with a lot of things, it gets a little bit more complicated. Is that something now that you're a member of the U.S. Senate, you're going to try and push? And can you find common ground across the aisle with people like Steve Scalise, who became the victim of a mass shooting. Hey, on everything, we've got to find common ground to, to, to try to um, move our country forward and try to solve problems. I mean, that's true with every issue. Uh, and I, after spending uh, now just a month in the U.S. Senate, I, I found that there are a lot of opportunities to work with uh, folks on the other side of the aisle and a lot of optimism about the future. We're 16 days away from an inauguration of a new president and a vice president. And I, I hear the optimism, not just by Democrats, but by Republicans as well. When President Obama spoke in Tucson just days after the shooting, he said the actions of heroes that day raised a question. 
what's required of the rest of us going forward? How can we honor the fallen? Have any of those questions been answered in the 10 years? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, a movement that is trying to, you know, save people's lives and, and, and uh, especially women and children who are affected differently by the issue of gun violence. Um, so, uh, and I, and, uh, and uh, folks that were there that day, including my wife, you know, continuing to work on this issue to make our state and our country, you know, safer. So yes, I think that that has happened. One of the big discussion points that came up after the shooting and has come up after other mass shootings since is the question of mental health. Has the nation or the state or the city worked to address mental health in the in the ensuing 10 years? Well, we have to do a better job. I mean, it's not adequate. Um, we've uh, when Gabby was in the U.S. House, there was a mental mental health parity act, which uh, treated, you know, mental health issues where it would be treated by insurance companies the way physical health is, which is a step in the right direction. But too many people fall through the cracks and don't get diagnosed and don't get the, uh, the mental health coverage and the, and the counseling and the treatment that they need. So we absolutely need to do better. Um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's really a shame that we, we, we haven't been able to, to do that over not only in the last 10 years, but just, you know, I, I'd, I'd say it, it seems like in the last 30 to 40 years, um, we've, we have more individuals that fall through the cracks and have serious mental health issues and are not able to find um, the assistance that they need. All right, Senator, thanks so much for spending a couple of minutes with us. Thank you, Chris. That was U.S. Senator Mark Kelly. His wife, Gabrielle Giffords, was one of 19 victims of the January 8, 2011 shooting. Daniel Hernandez was serving as an intern in Giffords' office during the shooting. In the last decade, he's served as a board member for the Sunnyside School District and since 2017 has been a member of the Arizona legislature. As we talked about in the first half of the show, there's often little connection between serious mental illness and gun violence towards others. But we asked Hernandez if his school board experience gave him more insight into how schools can help with mental health awareness. Hernandez says being on the school board taught him a few difficult things. One, understanding the relationship that schools have with students and their mental health. I think for a long time there was this belief that that was not something that was the responsibility of schools, that this was not necessarily our problem to fix or to take care of, while there were people in the school systems who were shouting from the rooftop, like, we need to do something, but there wasn't a concerted effort. So I think for me, the understanding and the realization that schools are a partner in making sure that we're providing support for our students who are at risk because there are so many issues around mental health, particularly when we get to the middle school age. We see students who have suicidal ideation. We have students who are depressed. We have all of these different mental health issues. And we have, quite frankly, staff that are not prepared to deal with this because they were taught to be teachers. They weren't taught to be a counselor or a therapist. So there have been a couple of things that I've been able to do that I think have been 
really important for me to be able to acknowledge that we do have a part to play as school districts, but also as legislators. So last year, I worked with my Republican colleagues, and we were able to secure $20 million in grants that could be applied by schools for either a counselor, a social worker, or a school resource officer. But this year, it's how do we keep the $20 million that we put and expand it because we had $98 million in requests. So the need is out there. 10 years on, why do you think we're having this discussion? Why has it taken 10 years to get to this point and what still needs to happen? Oh my God. Um, there are so many different kind of parts of that question of, you know, why are we still having this conversation 10 years on? And I think whether it's on gun violence prevention, whether it's on mental health, the issue is lasting change takes time. It takes time because we have to educate people and then we have to get them to be comfortable with things. So there is a part of the hearts and the minds because when it's a societal problem, it doesn't just get fixed because lawmakers in Phoenix or members of the Sunnyside School Board said it was so. It's us educating taking people along on a journey and meeting them where they are. Because I'm telling you, after 10 years of working on gun violence prevention, there are people now who are some of the biggest advocates who you would never ever think would be advocates because I've been able to work with them and educate them and get them to understand that us wanting to reduce gun violence does not mean that we want to take away their guns. People who, you know, five or six years ago would have said, I don't think that mental health is important because it's just crazy people and, you know, they can fix it themselves or it's not my problem who are now talking about how do we get more funding for things like counselors and social workers. But again, the reason it's taken this long is because these are problems that existed before January 8th and they are problems that we're going to have to keep working towards because there's never going to be a final solution. There's never going to be a point where we will say we have fixed mental health. We have fixed you know, gun violence in Arizona or in the country. So it's an ongoing problem. And quite frankly, because we've had such a conservative majority at the Capitol, sometimes it's been stopping the bad things from moving forward and making sure that no more bad laws are being passed. You talk about your work at the legislature. You obviously ha have experience um, that many of them don't have. Your colleague, Dr. Randy Fries, was an ER physician and treated victims of the shooting that day. Both of you in the legislature right now, do people listen to the two of you differently when it comes to mental health or gun violence issues? You know, I think a lot of what has become a trademark of my time at the Capitol has been, I will go to rooms and I will go into meetings where people don't expect me. And I will make sure that I am building relationships with folks who on their face have nothing that they understand or agree with me on. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Every year, one of my colleagues from Yuma, Tim Dunn, has an annual dove hunt. And he invites all 90 lawmakers. And every year, eight or nine of us show up. But I've made it a part of my annual plans that I will go to the dove hunt because for me, it's important for him to understand that when I'm talking to him about mental health or about gun violence, I'm not coming from the perspective as, you know, some city slinger who wants to take away his guns. I'm coming as someone who grew up hunting. I'm someone who understands and respects gun culture that we have here in Arizona, but also someone that says, 
we don't need to have folks have access to these kinds of firearms when they have mental health issues. We don't need people to have access to these things. But me going out of my way to Yuma to spend time with Tim has been important because it's allowed me to build a relationship with him. And while we don't always agree, me having a relationship with a conservative lawmaker from Yuma County has enabled me when there have been times that we can find consensus or agreement. Sometimes that means he helps kill a bill. Sometimes that means he convinces me that he needs my vote on something. But it allows us to have a conversation, and it's not just us yelling at each other, repeating partisan talking points. So I think my experience as a gun violence survivor and as someone who has said, I'm here to learn about you and what's important to you, was 10 times more important than me just coming and shouting at him and saying, you murderer, you're letting people do these awful things. Like, I started out as the fire-breathing activist who just yelled at everybody. I used to show up to Jeff Flake's office and have protests and rallies, and his office staff would literally run when they saw me, including Senator Flake a couple times, to understanding that there has to be a balance of calling people out, but also building a relationship to have a working opportunity to get something done. This may sound like a strange question in light of what happened. Six people were killed, 13 were wounded. Did anything good come out of that incident? I don't know if we can classify it as good, but I think what we have done is we've been able to turn what was a terrible and tragic situation and say, this is not acceptable and this is not something that we are okay with happening and us not doing anything about it. So those of us who chose to get involved in gun violence prevention, we turned our trauma into action. So I can't say that anything good came of it because I don't think that's a good description of it. But what I can say is we've been able to take what was a terrible day and say we are not okay with just leaving it as is and we're going to make sure that from this incident we extract something that is moving in the right direction, even if it's not always, you know, a quick solution. It's going to be a long slog because I don't think there's a single person who was impacted by that day that was ever under the impression that we were going to come in one day, meet with two or three people, and then everything would be solved. All right. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. No, of course. That was State Representative Daniel Hernandez, a witness to the January 8th, 2011 shooting near Tucson. And that's the buzz for this week. Arizona is once again the nation's COVID-19 infection hotspot. Next week, we'll look at how the vaccine rollout is happening in Southern Arizona. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.